This is EdTech Weekly. I'm your host, Ricky Zager, and back again with me is Matt Harrison. Basically, what we do on the show is just try to make some sense out of the EdTech stories of the week, and sometimes Matt gets a little, a little angry about things like Comcast, which I know a lot of you can relate to. Matt, are you feeling angry tonight? Are you fired up? Why'd you have to bring Comcast up, man? That's like, you're like, you're like, you're like poking me. Yes, I'm poking the bear. I'm trying to get, I'm trying to get the anger out. I like it when you've got a little anger and edge. So let's see what we have going on here. Our first story, iSchool Guide reports about an EdTech disaster in Modesto, California. I hate hearing about these things, Matt, because it just makes me scared that this is going to dissuade people from trying things, although I'm hoping it just gives them the right context. But what happened here is elementary school teachers are reporting that these devices, which the district spent about $2.2 million on, are simply not working. Uh, Reportedly, some of them are suffering from the blue screen of death and just simply can't be used. Um, We're not talking about some annoying bugs here. This seems to be total failure on some of the devices where they're just not working at all. Uh, These are Panasonic tablets, which makes me a little nervous when I say that. They don't seem to be working well for the elementary school students, even if they are working, because maybe they're a little too small for them, is what it sounded like in the article. Uh, Cindy Minter, the district head of technology, claims that it isn't necessarily the devices, but the Wi-Fi may be causing some of the issues. Matt, this is, I don't know, man. Where do we start here? This is a little odd. She's blaming it on the Wi-Fi. They're saying blue screen of death. I mean, I don't know where to start here, Matt. I really, if everybody right now could stop listening and then go back to episode 23... I believe I cover this pretty well. Um, yeah, I, I, I think part of that anger and rage was directed towards these type of scenarios. Yeah, I mean, this is, as the kids would say, cray-cray. Um, I'd be interested to know how many people there are working on this. Actually, you know, IT people that are doing it. Because a blue screen of death is not a nail in the coffin situation. Uh, it just takes a little bit more planning and, you know, uh, working with the warranty. I would assume that if they bought this, that it should come with a warranty. Um, but it just sounds like really, 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 really bad planning on every level. Yeah, and I'm I'm a little concerned, and I don't mean any disrespect to Panasonic, but I, I have not heard too much about Panasonic tablets. So I'm wondering if this was one of those getting the cheapest device scenarios without really planning on what that meant overall. I mean, again, I, that's all speculation on my part, but, you know, I'm not going to, disparage the name of Panasonic on its own without any extra information here, but it does give me a little pause for concern. That's not one of the bigger brands that I'm associated with hearing about in education. Um, I am also concerned about the head of district technology claiming that it's the Wi-Fi that may be causing some of the issues. I suppose it's possible that the Wi-Fi could make a blue screen of death, but it to me doesn't seem all that likely. It's, it's It just seems like a lot of things not working well. And also mentioning that the teachers don't seem to think these work well for the students. Well, did they test these things at all? Did they talk about that before they bought them? There's just a lot of stuff in the planning here that broke down. Oh, I just, and blue screen of death is very company centric. So that would mean that they're using Panasonic tablets that are running windows. Um, that's not been out that long. It's not like Android or iOS. So I still don't understand I, like if Panasonic worked out a deal with this, you know, county and said, "Hey, we're going to give you a bunch of these for two point two million, but they're as is." Uh, that person is a genius and very, very good at contract negotiation. Uh, yeah, and what we could say conversely about the yeah. other end. Yeah, yeah, it's it just seems like 
no planning, no thought, no anything really went into this, and they're blaming it on the technology. Now, Wi-Fi could be strangling everything so they're not responsive and they're not working well and maybe updates aren't being done properly and it's causing issues because of that, and that's altogether possible. If all of the devices are set to update every single night or every single week at exactly the same time, it will kill the network. And if some yeah, even good networks installing, but again, planning. I, I don't know. This should not dissuade schools from doing this. It should dissuade them from doing it without thinking. Yeah, we've we've talked about stories like this multiple times. There was a California thing with Apple, so a big company, and it just was a disaster. They just had nothing set up right. They didn't have any of the any of the back end stuff set up, whether it's through teacher training or anything. And it seems like this is just another one of those stories where people are throwing money into something to try to make it work. And, you know, when are people going to learn this, Matt? And I, I dare say that we're going to be hearing about many of these stories as this continues to be such an important thing where people are trying to race and, and fix the issues of education with technology. And please, I know there's at least a couple of people that listen to this show. Just please spread the word. Plan first, people, before you make these kind of purchases. Yeah. Our next story, Matt, TechCrunch reports on how education has influenced the 3D printing industry. They compare 3D printers to the computers in the late 80s where you had not too many found in homes, but a, a large amount were starting to show up in the education world. Uh, they go on to talk about how education is innovating what 3D printers are actually being used for, and as a result, shaping how students are able to relate to math and science in an immediate and physical way. You know, students are connecting with geometry in a way that was simply not possible before a 3D printer was around. And engineering is a much easier trial and error process for students. You know, they can create this wheel and put it on this device. And if it doesn't roll as fast as they thought, they can make it thinner. Or they can make the wheel, the radius larger, you know, and they can just try these things out and fail and succeed and, and definitely gives them a much better process there. And even CAD software, you know, I worked with CAD software in the printed circuit board industry a long, long time ago, and it's very focused on a lot of business industry-specific industry things. And now it's starting to be developed with an educational focus that helps students grasp these engineering and math concepts. And before 3D printing, that just wasn't really there. So a quote from the article, uh, competitions such as the Edutech 3D Challenge are helping children discover their design talents as well as giving them the chance to showcase their work and potentially win a MakerBot Replicator 2 3D printing unit for their school. So there's a bunch of things around just the 3D printer that are happening here to sort of spur this on. And I you know, recently worked in a large K-12 school district, and I can tell you that not that many schools have them, but there is a large push, and a lot of people are talking about it to get them in school. So it's definitely happening. I feel like in this scenario, 3D printers really needed you know, another avenue besides business to become big, and they've kind of relied on education. And I feel like a lot of this stuff has happened organically. You know, the schools have had these tools, and the teachers have gotten them in their hands, and the, and the students have been able to, to kind of make these different activities and, and really use these things. What are your thoughts on this, Matt? Oh, I'm all for it being in schools, and I think it's great uh, what's happening with these companies. When they first came out, you didn't find them anywhere other than, you know, Maker Fest and stuff like that. So it's great to see them. I know that there's been a big push overseas about getting them into uh, more businesses, like almost like Staples type places um, that they were working to do that. They tried it in a few markets around in the United States and it didn't work very well. So I'm really glad to see that this is popping up in schools again. 
Uh, I think that just talks more to uh, the people that are on the school boards and pay attention to what's actually happening and how to get kids more engaged. It's part of that planning thing that was missing in the first story. And by missing, I mean just wasn't there ever and probably still won't be now. Um, yeah, sadly. Yeah, I mean, in this, situ- in this situation, what you really have here is a use case for 3D printing that makes a lot of sense. Like, not everybody in their everyday life is going to have like these massive reasons to print things 3d. Like it just doesn't make a lot of sense. You know, you're in your house and you're going to 3d print. I don't know. It just doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but in a school where it's like, play around, figure it out, print stuff, see what they see, what, what you can create, take something that's an idea in your head and make something physical out of it. You know, those are all things that are just tailor made for education. And, And like you said, it's, it's nice to see that, this is really sort of running um, in education. It's really starting to, to make a big difference in terms of 3D printing. Oh, and I think the other part of it is uh, 3D printing and things like that. And I think it goes back to the article we talked about before with drones. These types of technologies find themselves in a different arena than just a large deployment of tablets. These are more vocational. And in that vocational arena, the person that's showing you about it generally has to be an expert. So you already have someone who is perhaps adept at already understanding how these things work. When I was in high school, you know, the teacher who was in architecture, you know, loved architecture and understood CAD software better than pretty much anybody else. So we were taught by somebody who knew absolutely something or knew everything about it. It wasn't a piece of external technology that was plopped in, you know, the English teacher's hands and they didn't really know, but they knew it was easier so students can read more books and didn't have to carry around so much stuff. So it yeah, does no, exist I think you're a little bit differently. Yeah, and, and I think exa- you're exactly right. You know, these are not being thrown in the hands of people that aren't don't know how to use them or don't know how to use scenarios that help students use them. They're being put in these, you know, STEM classes where engineering is a thing and they're trying they're creating these um, wheels and gears and things like that even if they don't have a 3d printer they're doing that so now with it it's just an extension of it whereas sometimes you throw a tablet in a classroom and it's like the odd man out and doesn't seem to fit in what's happening there so i i agree with you on that that's a good point yeah and to some degree when i was in high school there were some teachers who couldn't who didn't really know how to use um overhead projectors you know not like the original ones that had been used since like the 60s but the ones that took a a digital um, it had like a digital camera that went over. like document cameras. Yeah. yeah, no, that absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you know, even though that's a very similar concept as to the overhead projector, just using it sometimes gets in the way for teachers. Matt, our final story, The Verge reports that Microsoft's new PowerPoint tools make presentations decidedly less boring. Unfortunately, they can't make you less boring. I'm not speaking to you directly, Matt, but, but they are. They are trying, Matt. They're trying. When I look at this, it reminds me a lot of what Prezi has been doing um, in the fairly recent past. A lot of the motion to the overall presentation sort of that makes maybe creates a little more interest. Uh, the demos on the website do look pretty cool. I will say that. And, you know, like it or not, you're going to need to have some sort of interesting motion to make the presentation look fresh and keep students looking at the screen, especially the students nowadays. I mean, this is the Snapchat, quick video, Twitter, whatever you want to talk generation that wants it quick, wants it, you know, to, to be entertaining in a quick fashion. And you might be able to get their eyes to look at this presentation, but the real issue here is the content around that motion needs to be good as well. Just because it's got cool motion, if the content's horrible, 
it's going to be horrible. Okay. Yeah. They'll look at it and it may just, you know, emphasize just how bad it is. So we will actually address, we're going to do some tips for our featured segment here of how to make your presentations better. But first, Matt, what are your thoughts about the morph? Um, I think it's pretty cool. I mean, ideally, uh, PowerPoint presentations didn't need to go the direct route of here's 6,000 bullets on the same, um, you know, slide and you need to remember all of them. <laughs> it's just, I don't know. I sometimes I'll, I'll surf on high quality gifts and I'll end up, you know, actually learning more from that or um, educational stuff with absolutely no words and just, you know, something that kind of shows you what's happening. Uh, I, I just, PowerPoint presentations just, they, they drive me crazy because they always seem to sort of be absolutely 100% terrible. Yeah, and I think what, what really happens, and you hit on it there, is they became a almost a script for the presentation, which is awful because you're the script. You're the person who's telling the students things. You really want to find that, you know, now there's so many gifts out there. There's so many, you know, different visual options that are interesting that relate to what you're talking about and maybe, you know, help your students think about that. But seriously, you know, at this point, I just want to move on to, you know, our featured segment, which is our tip of the week. And that's just some different ways to make your presentations better. We do know that it's sometimes a necessary evil. You're going to use some sort of presentation software like PowerPoint. And as you stated, Matt, they really have a bad name because of just how horribly they are used overall. I mean, I'm, you know, working in education, I've always been amazed at how bad the slides are that teachers are using in class and also the ones that teachers see when they go to trainings. I mean, you're training teachers, you're giving them text-heavy slides where you just read the slides. Like, are you kidding me? How is that still happening? And, it, you know, it's just the fact that people still read directly off their PowerPoint, you know, it's like I want to steal a John Oliver's segment on Last Week Tonight where he goes, how is this still a thing? Because seriously... How do people still think this is the best way to convey your message? I mean, you read a slide, people are looking at the slide going, why are you reading this to me? What, why, you know, give a few words, maybe some pictures and that enhance your topic. Okay. And I know there are some subjects like math, science that need to be a little more text heavy, but if you're focusing on concepts, leave those heavy texts and formulas and all that stuff to the textbook. That's what they're for. But I guess before I finish this rant, um, Matt, have you noticed problems in the business world as well? I don't think I've experienced a time in the business world where it has not been that. Um, yeah. Like in my company, um, <clears throat> we were recently onboarded and <clears throat> all of the slides, it's 2015, were all keep calm and whatever the thing was. And <laughs> it's, it has nothing to do with anything. It's not even like four years ago when you know, that became like the super duper popular thing again. Um, and it certainly is in 1939 when London's being bombed by the Germans. So there's absolutely no reason why you should make a PowerPoint presentation and let it stay for four years. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, I guess I guess if it's really, really good, it was really, really it's really on point And it, you know, it, does, it conveys the message. But it, when it's just there for the sake of like, you know, it's four years ago. Oh, this is pretty popular and fun. And so we'll put this in the slide and people will like it. The pictures and a lot were of times, everywhere. It was like every slide had a picture of that. And <laughs> it just came to a point. I hit the mute button and I started crying. Well, Matt, let's let's be problem solvers here. OK, let's try to solve the problem of bad PowerPoints and bad presentations. One presentation at a time. 
by giving some tips. And we'll put the links of these into our show notes at edtechweeklyshow.com. And uh, so you can kind of get this information. Again, I know there's only a couple listeners, but if we can just band together and just share this information, it's out there. If you search, you'll find this this stuff. If you search Google search, you just have to do it. You just have to take the time to change your PowerPoints and make them better. So let's go. I got four points. Number one, less text. Always you can make less text. You can reduce that amount of text in your PowerPoints no matter what. I promise you. Get it down to the nitty-gritty, the important concept that you really want them to know in each slide or want them to be thinking about in each slide. Number two, more images, GIFs, whatever. Pick things that relate to the topic or are interesting and spark curiosity as to what you're going to say. And that goes with the picture that you're talking about. Um, I feel that you want to have a light bulb in that slide. That slide should have a light bulb. Because it is interesting and will spark curiosity. Because idea. Yeah, no, I... Basically, you're looking for images that can tell the story of what you're saying. And even in math and science, you can find some pretty good images that do that. You know, images of or pictures of things like the scientific method that makes sense in sort of a pictograph type of way rather than just all text and, you know, help students learn that way as well. Number three, never read from the slides. Never. I mean, I would even suggest not even reading the summary text that you put up there. Let the people in your presentation read it and explain to them why it's important as they're reading it in their head and explain to them why they need to know that. You're just, you're, you're dumbing it down way too much and you're really ticking people off when you just read from the slides. I mean, let's be honest. And number four, I'm going back to it, less text, Matt, less text. I'm sick of seeing text that's so heavy that if you print it out on one of those four page PDF things that you can't even read the text. And that was a training that I was at before I left my district. It's just too much and it needs to stop. So, Hey, can I help you with that one? Yes. We can edit that down just to less. Thank you. You're welcome. Less, less. Yeah. Make it, make it better. Here are some resources. We'll put these links into our show notes at edtechweeklyshow.com. Our first link is from Lifehacker. Dot com And it's a couple years old, but it's still really good because it makes a lot of sense into how you should do your presentation. Featured in this link, Seth Godin's five rules. The first rule, Matt, no more than six words on a slide ever. Ever. Don't do it. You can make it, you can make it shorter than that. Six words max. Our next link that we'll share with you is from Vanderbilt University. It's featured in this link are things that students don't like about presentations. So that's going to be anyone who's sitting in your presentation, whether a student or not, what they don't like, that's featured in that link. And then our final link comes from slideshare.net. And this is uh, provides a more humorous maybe look at tips for a better presentation. And there are some things in there that I definitely don't suggest. Like they suggest experimenting with colors. That seems like some weird 60s stuff. Yeah, I'd stay away from that. But as a humorous, I, I took it sort of tongue in cheek, and I, I'm hoping that part wasn't very serious. But even if it was, anything that you can do to just sort of re-examine your presentations and improve upon them. But the number one thing you can do, I think we've talked about, just hit the delete button. Delete some stuff. Add some words that make sense. Matt, anything you'd like to talk about with those tips? Any other last advice for people when they're making presentations? Uh, no, less. Just less. Just less. Just, All right. I like it. But the other thing is, um, in the first link, it talks about don't use dissolves. Um, 
He does not specifically say star wipes. Continue to use star wipes. <laughs> come back because if I'm in anything that you do and then there's a star wipe, I will stand up and I will applaud you. Yes. Any transitions like star wipes or, or any, you know, especially, and we can go into video with that too, but video transitions that, you know, the star transition wipe. I mean, they're, you need to use, listen, you're not going to fascinate anyone with your transitions. Maybe the first time they see it, but after that, it's it's same old, same old. Okay. So not the star you, wipe. Not the star wipe. You're right. That never gets old. We're, we're jesting people. Please don't use the star wipe. I, All right, Matt. Serious. If you, <laughs> we're closing the show on. If you want more information about the stories we talked about on today's show, you can go to edtechweeklyshow.com. We've said that a couple times in the show. You can follow me on Twitter at 4TechTeachers. That's the number 4TechTeachers. I basically just share links and other EdTech stories and news that I, I think is interesting. I think you'll find interesting too. Please don't hesitate to email the show, edtechweekly at gmail.com. Give us some feedback. Tell us what you'd like to hear us do, what we're doing wrong. Uh, tell us if you really like when Matt's angry, and I'll try to get him angry before every show. Um, call and leave a voicemail. Uh, 305-92-TECH-2-T-E-C-H, the number 2, 305-92-TECH-2. Uh, we've had one voicemail. We've played it on the show. We're waiting for our second. We'll play that one too. I'm telling you. Get in on there while you can. At some point, this is going to be such a big show, you're not going to be able to get on there. So do it while you can. And don't forget edtechweekly.reddit.com. That's the subreddit, edtechweekly. There's links being posted there. We have about 15 or 16 subscribers. So, hey. Get on there and comment. I know you're on there. Comment, share some stories and links, and help interact with that EdTech community. Matt, it's the end of the show. And, of course, you've become a staple on this show, and your endings have never ceased to disappoint people. Matt, what are your closing words today? Onomatopoeia. Oh, and I nice. shortened that down to onomata. Onomata. Less, less is more. I like it. All right. Well, see you next time on EdTech Weekly. Bye-bye.